Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. What's up, everybody? Welcome in to the weekend bonus content edition of the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns, and we have a great guest lined up, one of my favorite guys to talk to uh, about a couple uh, Browns topics and then a couple college football topics, so I hope you hope you do enjoy that. Before we get there, I just want to say some things I keep seeing on social media, uh, and, and it's usually Good Morning Football who has a great cast between Nate Burleson and Peter Schrager and some of those guys is there. It just keeps coming up that the the Browns are the ta- most talented roster, or today it was the Browns have the scariest pass rush in the NFL. Uh, I just I lo- I love that people love the Browns' talent, but I I do wish a part of me wishes this stuff would go away. Like I don't quite see how you can say the Browns have the scariest pass rush. I get it that they added Clowney and they added Tack. And probably get some better interior pass rush this year. Probably again, Tommy Togi I reported to be uh, practicing pretty well in minicamp. But again, that's minicamp. There's no pads on. There's nothing of significance going on. But you know, other teams have just proven more. Washington's defensive line very good. Uh, Pittsburgh continues to lead the league in sacks over and over. It's like I get it. People want to jump on the Browns bandwagon. That's fine. But there are some areas. Believe it or not. There are some areas where the Browns have to prove it before they're actually crowned on some of these things. So, you know, Tampa Bay's pass rush was ridiculous last year. It's like, let's just see the Browns put this stuff together on the field, especially defensively, before we go crowning them on these things. And and this, this probably doesn't matter. It mattered in 2019. I thought they got their head a little bloated, but... With this group, with what they went through in 2019, and and obviously figuring out what it takes in 2020, it probably doesn't impact them the way it used to. But it's just like I keep seeing this stuff on social, where the Browns have the best secondary coming into this year, or the best pass. It's like let's just see it. I think there's talent there on paper, but let's see it. And uh, I would love to go a week or two. I know this is the month and a half dry spell where everybody just wants to talk storylines. I get it. I'm gonna be trying to pull straws for storylines as best I can over the next month and a half to keep this daily thing going. But, you know, you you eventually have to let the Browns prove it. So I hope that the teams can, or not teams, but some media folks who cover the league nationally can just sort of say, hey, let's watch the Browns prove it before we do so. Saying the Browns have the most talented offense based on what they did last year, I don't agree with it necessarily. I think they're very, very, very good, but I'm not sure you can say they have the most talented offense. But I can, I can see where you're coming from with that one. So, um, yeah, the defense is exciting. A lot of new names, a lot of new faces, uh, some real high potential there. I just want to see it all come together. I think it can. We'll see if it does. So until we, you know, get on the field, that'll be a continual thing. People will talk about it. It's fine. Just a little bit of an annoying thing that I wanted to address uh, because I just don't want crazy expectations when we got to see it all come together. I think it can but I'm going to pump the brakes on that kind of stuff, guys. So let's get over to our guest, though. Some important topics to talk about the Browns. And Doug LaMarie, who's at Cleveland.com, I don't have to really introduce him much. He does fantastic work on Ohio State. And when he dips his toes into the Cleveland water, I'm not sure there's better 
a, a better beat coverage guy than Doug, but uh, he's pulled in a million different directions there because he's uber talented, focuses on Ohio State, lives around Columbus. Obviously, that's why I've gotten to know him and always have a good conversation with him. And I want to talk about some college football too. So start with Browns on to college football. I'll give you ideas in the interview of when you can duck away if you don't care about college football much or you don't care about Ohio State because we do talk about Ohio State a little bit at the end. So let's get over that interview with Doug now. All right, Doug, listen, we've had this running joke for like two years. Since 2019, we all got really excited. We're, we're, we, we, we think they have too many good players. Now, I don't know that the last two years that that has necessarily been true, but the way they've spent the last two years now uh, ironing out both sides of the football, I do think there becomes a little bit of a uh, – we have a bunch of – like, in my opinion, they have three linebackers that I think they want to see time. I think they really want Jacob Phillips to play. They really want – uh, Jeremiah Wusu Kormo to play, and they they obviously signed Anthony Walker to play. Everybody loves that guy. Then you got four DBs as far as the corners: Troy Hill, Greg, Greedy, and Denzel. Then you got three like I guess, and you look at it on offense too, where everybody's talking about Donovan Peoples Jones having a nice camp. Uh, I'm you know I'm hearing secondhand accounts of that. Everyone likes Kadero Hodge. Everyone likes Rashard Higgins, and oh yeah, they have these two LSU guys who are pretty good. Is there actually an issue on on the surface now where? They have too many good players where I do think there's going to be some uh, some concerns about forcing snaps for guys that we maybe haven't seen before. I, I get a little worried about that. Am I off base there? I just want to make clear that I am claiming the headline, will too much talent tear the Browns apart for <laughs> Cleveland.com? I don't want you to see you stealing that headline, Jake, right, because here's claimed. Here's the thing. So I do think – I think the way they use – Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt helps answer this because they have two of the, some people would say two of the 10 best tailbacks in the NFL and they don't play them at the same time and they both get enough run, I think. Right. And they keep them fresh. I think they keep them fresh for the fourth quarter. I think they keep them fresh for the end of the year and a playoff run. And I thought I was before last season, I was a little curious about how Kevin Stefanski would manage that. And I think it worked out pretty well with those two guys, two talented guys at one position. So the defensive stuff, I am here for like, yeah, great. Rotate three linebackers through two spots. Rotate four corners through three spots. Rotate, you know, three safeties through two and a half spots. Like, I, I really think a lot of that can work. You know, not even that it's necessarily um, like sub-package stuff. It's just like, well, guys get breathers sometimes. And, and at Ohio State, not that it's the same, but, you know, there was a year where they had they had three corners who were all going to be first-round picks in Marshawn Lattimore, Garyon Conley, and Denzel Ward, and they rotated three guys through two spots. And it wasn't an issue. Nobody complained. Everybody got a little break, and, like, it worked great. So the defensive side of the ball, I think it's fine, and I agree with everything you said. Offensive side of the ball, again, leaning on Ohio State a little bit, you know, sharing the ball, who gets the ball, I think is different obviously, than who gets the snaps. I don't think the snaps is, you know, if you give Jarvis a little break here because Kaderil Hodge is in and then, hey, give people Jones a snap and Odell takes a little break, I think that's fine. 2015 Ohio State, they tried too hard to share the ball between Ezekiel Elliott, Braxton Miller, Michael Thomas, and it didn't work. So that, I wouldn't say it's a concern. That I'm curious about. But I think the snaps hopefully, and I think I believe it, is just kind of keeping everybody fresh for when it really matters in January. Well, they have a bunch of these young guys who are now 
veterans, right? They got. I mean, we've we've seen Baker grow, we've seen Nick grow, we've seen um, you know Miles grow and come into these roles as veterans. And I talked to to Nathan Zagura about that that concept where now these guys who we've deemed as these guys who turned it around, we still maybe view them as young, but going into your fourth year in the NFL is like the middle of your NFL career on average. I know quarterback plays, it's the early portion, but for some guys it's not. So I guess I'm gauging 2020 is so important uh, to, to prove that they have staying power above anything else. I think that they're going to keep talent for the next five years, but can they consistently find themselves in the thick of the playoffs so they need Baker, they need these young guys that are now their veterans to prove they can do it. I guess I talk about in the offseason, I can't count Pittsburgh out until I see them out. It's just something about it in the back of my mind just says you can't count. Even though there's glaring holes on Pittsburgh's roster, you can't count them out until you see them out. It's kind of with Cleveland, I know the talent is obviously there. I'm not missing that. We're talking about too much talent here, folks. I'm not missing that talent. But I am still skeptical in a little sense. Like, can they stay there? I guess I'm seeking from you. How confident are you that they, 2019 served them well, some of those things to, to teach them what they need to do to stick around? Do you have any fear of a, you know, a seven and what is it, seven and 10 season? Or are you pretty confident that even if things don't go as perfectly as planned, they can still find a way to go nine and eight or something along those lines? Oh, yeah. No, I, I am not. I think they're a playoff team, and that, and it's weird, Jake, because it's still so foreign. I think to everybody here, in like, how do you talk about a good NFL team, mm-hmm. right? And like, I honestly, I seriously don't know, because the national people do their thing, but like in the local markets, like in Baltimore, are they do they wonder if the Ravens are a playoff team again? <laughs> because well, you know, they added a receiver in the draft, but they gonna do this, and I don't know. Lamar's got to get a little better here. Or are they just like, well, of course they can get better, but they're a playoff team. And like in, you know, like not that the Browns are the Chiefs, but like in Tennessee, it's like, well, they added Julio Jones. Like, are you sure? I just don't I don't know what other markets think and what the fans and the media think, because my instinct with the Browns is to be like, well, of course, they're a playoff team. We're just talking about how good is the good. I'm not I'm like not really considering, you know, them not being good. Because to me, it's like, well, what derails that injuries? Well, they got derailed by injuries last year, and they lived through it. You know, it's like, what are you going to do? Are you going to have a worse injury than losing Odell? you going to have a worse injury than losing Nick Chubb for four games? you going to have a worse than Miles getting COVID and, and missing two games and then not being himself? Like, they fought through a lot last year. I think there's a lot of upside still there with, like, if they're more healthy, what does that look like? And then off the top, and again, it's funny. I, I, I love joking about too much talent. But too much talent means depth. And so I think it, it removes the chance of, like, a, a singular, absolutely devastating injury. So, like, I, I honestly, not to be Pollyanna about it, but, like, I have, like, zero concerns about, like, in a normal football season, them being eight and nine. Like, I just I just think that's impossible. But I don't – and I just – I kind of wish I knew, like, what, you know, what do people in in, uh, in markets with other good teams – say because to me it's obvious they're a playoff team i think it is too and i i I make the reference here that you you can't be a really good team until you're really good on paper i just you you typically don't see teams that come for i guess miami a little last year where they you you didn't look at them on paper very good but i'm talking like really good like super bowl level good most of those teams get talked about in the preseason it's not normal to see a team that gets no preseason buzz like whatsoever become a Super Bowl team it's just you know you have to have the the talent on paper 
has to be on paper before it can manifest itself uh, through the rest of this thing. Uh, I mean, through the rest of the season. It's got to start somewhere. So that part draws my attention. I, I too, come back to big picture stuff with like analytics and Andrew Barry and, and, and Stefanski. I, I think they, there's been a lot of people, a lot of stuff from the data bowl. I don't know if you pay attention to this, Doug, mm-hmm. but the, the Browns analytics department is that we all talk about them being analytical. And we, we, we have all these, these, these concepts in my mind about uh, yeah, how forward thinking this group is and all that. But I feel like on the surface, we know like 2% of what they're doing, especially if you catch the Browns have had a lot of people do. I think one of their data engineers and their R and D team just got uh, the big data bowl was on there about the 3d model looking at, <laughs> looking at pass height, expected points added in, in yak yards. And I looked at it like, you know, this stuff is way over my head. The same with their their game research was on, uh, does, I think, I can't remember the name of him off the top of my head. Giuliani's his last name. He was just on Unexpected Points with Kevin Cole talking about how they, you know, he's the lead development and re- research coordinator for the team. And it's like, baseball, it, it, this is my thing, Doug. Baseball feels like the revolution has been figured out. Like, they, mm-hmm. they have figured this thing out to a science with baseball. And, and they've made movies about it. And... I had people on this podcast, some smart guys that I'm sure you've had on your your podcast, Jack Duff and Anthony Reinhardt, talking about how the Browns need to throw the football earlier because it's just more efficient. Even the best run game is is less efficient than teams who throw the football a ton on first down. Is is football ever going to be, in your opinion, uh, a sport that can be quantified the way baseball is? Where baseball, it's almost like a formula. You eventually, you figure out what a player is, you look at their profile, and you could plug them into a formula, and eventually you plug nine guys into a formula over 162-game sample size, and hey, we're probably going to get like 89 wins. Do you think football ever gets there, or do you think it's just too weird? Just too many variables, too many things that are unpredictable. It's less one-on-one, right? I mean, baseball's all, it's a, yeah. it's a whole thing of one-on-ones. So like football feels like all these smart people who were doing baseball and even uh, Giuliani who was who was uh, never played football he was a Stanford guy baseball guy he got into it with baseball then he joins the 49ers because he says baseball's kind of been figured out uh, and we're everyone's attacking football now but I just have this hard time envisioning football becoming this quantifiable thing there are a lot of things we're learning but I don't know if it ever gets there so I'm guessing I'm seeking your opinion on that do you think it's do you think it ever gets there do you think it ever stops and becomes this perfect formula like baseball is or or uh does it does it stay this mystery that people keep trying to solve because football's just it's so weird 22 people and all these things so many things seem to depend on one another right yeah and it's violent which I think like violence changes things too right like everybody right Mike Tyson yeah everybody has a plan until they get hit in the mouth there's a part mm-hmm. of that too I think that is real. You know, it's like, well, this should be this and this should be this. And it's like, yeah, but that guy's like really big and he hit me. So I think there's a component of that. But obviously it's more complex. Baseball is much more static. Baseball is much more individual. I do think I I, I think probably there is room, though, where analytically they can still break stuff down to, okay, well, it's corner on receiver. It's defensive end on tackle. It's linebacker on running. Like, right. And still you can find enough individuality in the matchups where you still think you can come to some conclusions and make some predictions uh, analytically, even though it's an 11 on 11 group setting, there still are individual battles a lot of time within that. Um, But, but baseball is so much easier. That makes sense to me. I think it's an interesting way you phrased it. It's it's like if, if smart people, not that they're bored with baseball, but like you said, the revolution is kind of over. Who wants to be behind the revolution you want to be in front of it i do think it's possible that we could get to the end of this and i mean obviously it's it's so crazy that like oh paul de podesta has already been characterized in a movie but it's like we could get to the end of this with the browns 
where 10 years from now they have been successful, they've had great players, and then it's like somebody's like, oh, yeah, well, by the way, when they had Miles Garrett and Baker Mayfield and Nick Chubb, they were doing this mm-hmm. behind the scenes that gave them this huge edge that nobody in the moment knew exactly how big the edge was. And now everybody's kind of caught up to it, but like they were doing this 10 years ago. They were doing this in 2021, man. And we don't know that yet. But I like the idea that I think if there's going to be a couple teams who are ahead of that curve, it certainly feels like the Browns are are not in that, but are at the front of that. And isn't that a great thing to think about your football team? Yeah, they're trying. They're they're certainly trying. And I think that the thing that is, and I'm sure people thought this around 2000, 2001, or whenever. You know, Depot got the the job with the A's and. People didn't really understand it then. I think we're in the thick of it right now where I feel like I know like 2% of what the Browns are doing with their analytics department. I thought it was interesting just yesterday when Mike Prefer mentioned that the that, that Deep Podesta has this formula where he, he can get assign a point on every play. And I just was like, I want to know what that means. I mean, from a film perspective, there's always been plus or minuses. Coaches break down tape and, and Pro Football Focus has monetized that to make it understandable and digestible for the everyday football fan. I just want to know what I would give anything. And I wish somebody would have asked like, hey man, talk about that formula for me for a minute. How does that play into things? And how does it play into everything? Because it's not just for special teams like Mike was referencing. It appears yeah. to be for everything else. And the, you know, and what Giuliani was talking about is these meetings that they have uh, between coordinators and head coach. And, and it was just some funny stories about Al Saunders telling the pop in his head in the, in the room with the analytics department being like, did you guys figure out how to get three yards yet? And just like these old coaches. So the mesh, the mesh point between all of that stuff is the single most interesting thing about the Browns that we will never really know until, like you said, maybe a decade from now we get a book about it because the Browns found a ton of success. But that stuff just really interests me because baseball is great and it and it still has a lot of great features, but it does feel like the formula has been solved and everybody's doing the same thing. And football is not quite there yet. So I always well, try to... And that's, go ahead. That's why baseball is all strikeouts and home runs right now and walks, right? And that's why the NBA, I've actually thought about this a little bit. I don't know how to write about it exactly. But it's like baseball is strikeouts, home runs, and walks. The NBA is three-pointers and foul shots, right? I mean, not to simplify it too much. Mm -hmm. But I I wonder, Jake, I have thought about this, and I almost hope it doesn't happen. I love analytics, and I love the idea of it, and I love the idea of trying to figure out a way to be smarter than everybody else to help your supremely talented athletes find a little bit of an edge. But what if we got to the point in the NFL where it was like, well, you know what? The best thing to do every play is just throw a 60-yard pass. (laughs) And if you hit it one out of three times, you have three downs to do it. If you hit it one out of three times, you're going to move the ball. And also, there's a decent percent chance there's going to be pass interference. So why? You're just talking about, hey, you should throw the ball earlier. Why are we throwing it four yards? Why shouldn't we throw it 60 yards every play? I think and that's what I think that's it, man. Go ahead, keep keep going. It makes me a little sick to my stomach <laughs> because <laughs> the best thing about football is the combination of like beauty and violence, right? That there's this this meshing of complicated movement of eleven guys on each side, and it concludes with guys running into each other with full force. And if you can boil that down to, you know what you should do? Just throw it over everybody and draft receivers who can jump up between guys and make catches. And like, that's it. And like the numbers say that's going to work. 
and your completion percentage is going to be 33 percent but the you're going to complete a 60 yarder when you complete it one third of the time like i hope we don't go too far and as much as i'm in favor of analytics and i love all this stuff i do think baseball at the moment might be suffering a little bit not that you can control it i don't want to say it's gone too far but it's taken a little bit of the beauty out of the game because it's so analyzed and so I'll be curious if we ever get to that point with football. But to your original point, Jake, I do think it's so much more complicated that I, I doubt that will happen, but I have wondered about it a little bit this summer. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think if it does happen, you're spot on. It, it that's the conversation I was trying to have with, with Anthony and Jack was, and they're smart guys. And I'm not trying to argue and be like the the caveman, like the football should be this way. It should never change. But what, my question boiled down to: Okay, you're showing me this data that I cannot, I cannot argue it. The expected points added on any given play, the efficiency for throwing the football even for teams that aren't great at it, is better than Cleveland, who was the most efficient run team. It just gives you a higher weighted points per play average than if you are an effective run. So I totally get it. But I said you have these super smart guys, Andrew Barry, Kevin Stefanski, who who are data-forward people. They talk about making data-driven decisions. Why aren't they throwing 10 out of 10 times then? There's something more to it. There's definitely something more to it. And you're right. If the revolution does take us full board the other way, which if you look at football 10 years ago, Doug, the number of times we're seeing passing now is staggering compared to that. So it could be going in that direction. And if it does go full board in that direction, the only way it can go, much like the NBA is three points, layups, or free throws, much like baseball is home runs, walks, it's strikeout. The NFL will be throw it deep. Or find a running quarterback that can make it something crazy yep. happen. That's all it's going to be. And I don't know if I'll love that. I get it. I, I get why that would be an effective method. Because like you said, there's human error and pass interference. That's a real thing that can happen. And I don't think teams exploit that enough. Because the NFL gives you a spot foul while college gives you 15 yards. It's such a game changer. So I do think that it ultimately would get there. And that's a, it's a scary thing for me because the game is really great the way it is right now. And I almost think it's found this perfect mesh point between forward-thinking, passing-based offenses, but also having a running attack on offense that can really punish people and just make teams feel so defeated. You know, the body blows method that they talk about all the time. You just keep beating teams up over a quarter. And then, like, that Week 2 game with Cincinnati, when the Browns had 
a downhill attack working and Andy Janovich after the game was like, man, we could have run for 350 yards if we wanted to. When you're a fan and you know every time you hand the football off, it's going to net like 10 yards. It's just a cool feeling. It's a yeah. really cool feeling. And I, I just hope that that part of the game doesn't go away completely because if it does and this formula gets solved someday, that's that's what you're looking at. So it's kind of like a scary reality there. So um, I'll be curious. It's one of those things you can't like limit how often you can throw, but I, they could move. You know, spot foul for pass interference back to 15 yards, right? So you don't get so much bang for the buck out of stuff. You could figure some stuff out to try to combat some of that. But to your point of like, well, maybe if the Browns are at the front edge of analytics, why do they play the way they play? Well, they inherited a quarterback, right, mm-hmm. who is a really good quarterback but isn't a great running quarterback. They inherited a running back who's awesome, but would they have, you know, would would Andrew Barry have taken a running back in the second round the way John Dorsey did? It's maybe John Dorsey's best pick. I don't know. Like that, that some of this is built in. Like it's what they got. If 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 D. Podesta doing every, whatever he wanted as the as the lead voice, and he was here a long time, it wasn't always a lead voice. And Andrew Barry, if they were starting from scratch, would they? Not that, and they would never get rid of Baker Mayfield and Nick Chubb because they're great Browns. But is that the way they would have built a team? Like I don't know. But they're also smart enough. Part of analytics is being smart enough to know well. There's the ideal way to play, and there's the, well, this is what we have. How do we maximize what we have? And I do think they probably study the ideal a lot and execute the maximize what we have. And what they have is a great offensive line, two great running backs that they inherited, a quarterback who plays a certain way that they inherited, a, a game-breaking receiver, a possession receiver that they inherited, mm-hmm. and they're going to maximize those guys. And maybe there's a future where we see the ultimate – way of doing things if they were starting from scratch but they didn't they inherited this and they're going to try to win with this and i think they will it's a great point it's a great point we don't talk enough about how they inherited and what they're trying to do with the inherited group is maximize the talent that the inherited group has and you know because you got to also kind of watch your butt right you got to win enough games to to get really experimental you have to do enough things to keep your job so i think they're walking that fine line and if you are not interested in college football hang up this pod now push pause Stop it, whatever. If you have interest in college football, I think this is going to be a fun little segment. Uh, the the college football playoff expansion is happening, Doug. I I didn't really know. Listen, I you know I'm I'm all Browns all the time. I didn't really watch it closely. I was I, the, the most ex- exciting college news for me was that they're bringing the video game back because I'm a nerd. But um, <laughs> they go to twelve. I I can't say I expected them to jump to twelve. I thought it would be something like eight. Did it was twelve a surprise? Did you feel it coming? Like where were you on that? So we actually did a Buckeye Talk podcast about a month before they announced the 12 where I made my pitch for 12. And I had come around to 12 after kind of looking at things, and I basically came around to exactly what they're proposing now. And it's it's not like I had great reports. It's just if you really start thinking about it, you get to 12 and the thing they're doing pretty easily. And – it's not that I'm a genius. It's that I think it just makes a lot of sense because I like the four team, um, but having five conference champs for four spots in the playoff just as square peg round hole it doesn't make sense. And they've got to get away from that. You've got to get to a point where conference champs are getting in automatically. And so 12 gets you to that, but it retains some wild card berths because you don't want it to be only conference champs. If you only go to like eight, instead of 12 or six instead of 12, you've got to give an automatic bid to a non-Power 5 conference. So if you only go eight, well, it's like, well, now there's five conference champs plus 
the automatic bid for the non-Power 5. That's six of the eight. Where does Notre Dame fit in there? And now what if like the second-best team in the country is the second-best team in the SEC? They barely get in. And you start doing that, and you say, you know what? We want to give the automatic bids. We want to have enough wiggle room for the best you know, second-place team in the conferences. And then you have the buys where you reward the best teams. So it's like you know, you're not playing this whole regular season for nothing. And so teams still have something to compete for. It's like, oh, you're going to make regular season games meaningless. It's like, well, no, you're still going for the buy. That matters. You have some home games in the first round for logistics. It's just if you really sit down and think about it, the jump from four to 12 is the jump. It's what makes sense. And I do think it's time for them to do it. They are going to do it. I'm sure they're still working through the ramifications, but it's where they're going to get. It's going to happen in two years. And I think generally it's going to be better for college football because we've had enough of let's pick let's pick four teams from these five conference champs. And it's you have a, an objective thing that you're unnecessarily making subjective. And if you're saying, hey, win your conference and you're in, that's a much better way to do it. Yeah, I mean, I like it. I like more opportunity. I, they don't, the, I get. I certainly get the arguments for um, the lessening the, the regular season importance. Every game matters. That's been the calling card for years. I, I just have always hated that if I went to Cincinnati and I was playing college basketball, I'd have every opportunity to win a, con, a, a national championship. But if I go to Cincinnati to play football, even if we're the best version of Cincinnati, we don't have a chance to win a national championship. And I just think that's fundamentally flawed. Even if I get it, Alabama would... would, would really crush them I, I understand that but there's one night you never know what could happen on one any given night and i think that that's a big thing that kids should be able to look at and say that's a part of my experience we had an equal opportunity to win a championship so i'm excited about that i do listen to ryan Rosillo's pod and i i noticed i want to bring these two topics to you because they're, they're interesting danny cannell was on talking to him and i was curious your thoughts like this seems to i thought they made a good point that this doesn't seem to help them it helps g5 teams the good teams ucf for example it helps it helps you know uh, i think obviously the 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 second or third best team in every conference whoever that is but it doesn't really help like maybe the iowas or the mississippi states would you think that there would ever be an interest from maybe somebody like indiana for example that if they could if they could move down a conference a conference like, it's interesting to me because Indiana may lose three or four games, but if Indiana was in, say, I don't know, if they go Conference USA, or I'm just I'm spitballing here, it, like, they would have a real shot to get into the playoff from that. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, it just seems, I thought that was an interesting thing where teams maybe like Nebraska, who, who aren't going to win enough games maybe in conference, but it's like if they went to the Mountain West they probably have a pretty good chance of getting into the playoff every year. So I don't know. I thought that part of it was interesting. So is that is that a faulty way of thinking? Like some of these, it, it benefits G5s, but maybe not some of the lower tier Big Ten or lower tier SEC teams who typically struggle anyway. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's faulty thinking. No offense. No, like, I, really it was interesting. Care? Yeah. Like it's really, we're really supposed to care. Like what's going to happen to the 35th best team in the country? It's like you're not going to make the playoff. <laughs> uh, what, what do you want me to do? Like, you're not going to make it. And guess what? I mean, like, the, my reason that I want expansion to 12 is is less about Cincinnati getting in. Because Cincinnati, now that non-Power 5, that G5 school is going to get in, they're going to lose. And everybody who's like, why didn't we ever? They're going to get get in and lose. And then it, it'll be, they'll, have a, they'll hang a banner in their facility. College football playoff, that's great. They're not going to win it. 
they might have an upset every now and then. If they're the, the 10 seed and they beat the 7, but then they're going to get to the next round and they're going to get blown out by the 2. That's just what's going to happen. So, I like, at some point, it's like I can only care so much about the middle of the pack team. It's like just be better. I don't know what I don't I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah. But also, you know, Iowa in 2015, Michigan State and Iowa were undefeated and they played in the Big 10 championship game and won Michigan State won and Iowa lost and wound up number 5 and if there'd been a 12 team playoff they would have made it. Indiana last year, you know, if it's a normal year and they with the wins they have and stuff, they would have been at the edge of making a 12 team playoff. It's really good for teams like Penn State, Michigan. Because Penn State and Michigan right now like are not getting past Ohio State mm-hmm. it, it, nine years out of ten. And a second Big Ten team is like not getting in. But now Penn State and Michigan can be like, hey, like we can get in the playoff. We don't have to be better than Ohio State. We can get in the playoff, though. And then once you get in the playoff, maybe anything can happen. So I think it's really good for schools like Penn State, Michigan, Georgia, LSU, Texas A&M. You know, Florida State, everybody who has a team like Ohio State, Bama, Clemson in their conference that's been blocking them, mm-hmm. those second, third, and fourth best teams in the conference, it changes their world, which I think is the most important thing. And if you're Iowa or Mississippi State or anybody else, be better and try to be the second or third best team in your conference and have a shot. Do you think another kind of piggyback on something they mentioned on the other pod was the the first the first round there, I know everybody gets buys and that's the crave, but I noticed that those teams get home games. Uh, which is really unique and cool. Do you think it'll ever get to the point that the second round, when there's eight, what would it be, eight teams left, would ever get a home game for that first? Because how cool would it be if, like, Florida came up to Ohio State in January? I think that'd be really awesome, just to see some of those. South teams never go north, and I don't think that's why we'd ever see it. But I just kind of find that to be really interesting, to think, like, okay, the first round, maybe the second round goes to home games, but then there's the Bulls to to worry about, too. The Bulls still want to have some sort of relevance, right? Yeah, you've got to murder the Bulls. That's the only way. So the Bulls still hold, hold college football hostage. The reason that they're home games is because logistically you're going to end the regular season and then play this first round like two weeks later, and you can't get the Bulls ready. You know, like you can't – like you've got to have the home games, I think, for logistics more than anything else. And so that's why they're looking at it that way. But then the way it works, once you get from that first round – where four home games, then then you get down from 12 to 8, and then those four games of the top eight teams fit very nicely into the current bowl structure, and then you have semifinals that fit very nicely in the current bowl structure. It just it fits for now. I mean, I'm murder the Bulls, great, murder them. But, like, they're not going down without a fight, man. It is a <laughs> no. boondoggle. They got a yeah. lot of those guys in Blazers who are making fake money to be in charge of whatever stupid bowl committee. So maybe some point, College football will unshackle itself from the bowl system and be able to have a playoff that's just a playoff and everybody, you know, the good teams get home games and then you play a, a Super Bowl type game and that's it. But they're not there yet. This is the, you have to do this first. And if the home games in that that first round are so successful, maybe the powers that be in college football will be like, you know what? Maybe we don't need to play the Ohio State Florida game in Louise in New Orleans. Maybe we can just play it in Ohio Stadium so all the fans can just drive to the game instead of having to fly on vacation in January to watch a football game. But it's going to take a while because for now, the Bulls still are holding everyone hostage. Yeah, I just kept thinking to myself, like that'd be a really unique situation where it's teams from the South who always avoid trips up North in the 
you know, later months of the year. It would just be kind of fun like that. But it's a pipe dream. Um, okay, and last part here is, and if you are not an Ohio State fan, you can go ahead and turn this off now as well. I want to ask a couple of Ohio State questions. Uh, these are not great questions, but they're just, you know, I like to pick your brain on Ohio State sometimes. Um, this 2021 class, big decision from this kid out of Washington. What's his name? JT Tumalau. Okay, so Ohio State leading for him, and if they get him, this will be the greatest on-paper ranking Ohio State class they've ever had? Yeah, I guess they still would not have the number one class because Alabama would still be ahead of them. But um, I guess maybe numerically. I mean, they, they haven't had a number one class. They were number two last year. They were number two some other years. Uh, 2017, they were number two. But, yeah, I, I guess it would be. I mean, Jack Sawyer is a top five player in the class at defensive end, and then JT Tumalau would also be a top five player in the class at defensive end. And you throw him in, um, you know, with Trayvon Henderson at running back and Donovan Jackson on the offensive line and Emeka Buka at receiver. And, like, it, it, it is it is like a huge addition if they can get him. They don't need him. Mm-hmm. Like, we've been talking a lot on our Buckeye Talk podcast. Like, I think Ohio State's going to win the net. The fun thing about the playoff, and it's interesting, is this current freshman class for Ohio State that's so stacked, they're going to be juniors, which is your money-making year, the first year of the playoff, yeah. of the expanded playoff. So this group is going to have to win three games instead of two, assuming they're a top-four seed, to win the national title. They're going to be in part of that. So this great Ohio State class, the, the system is making it harder for them. But it's going to be fun. But they're okay without Tumalau, but you add him. We've talked about it. it would be a little bit like 2018. For the first two and a half games, Ohio State had Nick Bosa and Chase Young. And then Nick Bosa got hurt in the third game, and that was it. So we didn't really get to see – those two stud defensive ends together, Nick Bosa was a year ahead of Chase Young. If they get Tumalau, you might see Tumalau and Sawyer, that type of skill, that type of talent, pairing on the defensive line for three years. It would be fun. It would be fun. I know he's, it's the latest. Deci- I mean, Terrell Pryor pushed it into March, but this is this is one of the latest decisions I've yeah. ever seen. I, I, had, a, I had a double take. I did, yeah. 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 I, had to, I just had to double take. Like, this kid's a 21 class kid, and it's June? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so he's visiting Washington, Oregon, USC. He's from Washington. Washington, mm-hmm. Oregon, USC, Ohio State, and Bama. And, it's, I mean, people, the recruiting experts say Ohio State's probably in the lead right now. He has not been to Columbus. He has been to Alabama. Um, so he's doing officials for all of them now. But I think it's good for Ohio State, the idea of, like, him. He might be – he's already been to Bama, and he hasn't committed to Bama. And there's enough stories of, like, kids, you get to campus and you're like, this is the place for me. He already had the opportunity for that to happen at Alabama, and it didn't. And it could happen at Ohio State when he gets here, and that would be good news for the Buckeyes. So I I don't know. Recruiting is crazy. Anything can happen. But I think the people who follow it the most think it's down to either Ohio State or Alabama. Last recruiting question. You haven't seen him in person, obviously. I mean, none of us have seen anybody from another state in person. It's been a weird year, but... From people you trust, your understanding, just how good is Quinn, Quinn Ewers at this age? Is is he worth the hoopla that's coming out about where he's – I mean, I'm just – I'm reading some crazy things. I've seen some crazy throws. I've seen some off-balance stuff, some flick of the wrist stuff. It's just like uh, people that have, have seen Trevor in high school or seen Justin in high school, are, are they as high on this kid as the, the, the public craze is? Yeah, I mean, I think he, he slings it in a different way even than like Justin Fields, mm-hmm. you know, that – I think he's, I think he's, you know, it's one of those things. What are you going to compare a high school kid to Patrick Mahomes? But I mean, he's got <laughs> some of that sidearm three quarters slingy, like rip it kind of stuff. And uh, he seems all in on Ohio State, you know, like that is, it's a huge get for them to pull a kid like that out of Texas. They took advantage of the dysfunction at Texas. They locked him down. I thought when Sarkeesian got to Texas, maybe he'd try to rally 
and and try to get him back because he once had been committed to Texas and decommitted, but Texas already moved on. They have their own, a different quarterback in that class, twenty two from California. So, you know, Quinn Ewers is going to be a Buckeye. And again, talking about that twenty twenty three. 2023, when this current freshman class is in their third year, they should have second-year Quinn Ewers, who is like the highest-rated quarterback recruit like in the history of recruiting, like as their starting quarterback. So like that's what we're talking about that is sort of coming together at Ohio State right now. It's exciting. It's exciting. I, I'll, I'll close with this because it's something I was talking to a friend about, and I could just be way off base. Is is Oregon games a noon kick? Are they just getting rid of like primetime early season Night games at Ohio State is that not a thing anymore? It's Fox, so Fox is uh, Fox is you know part a big owner of the Big Ten Network. The Big Ten's pretty in with Fox right now. They're still in with ESPN and ABC, but Fox and the Fox Group and the ESPN ABC Group take turns picking the best Big Ten games. They have like a draft, and so Fox has decided their prime time is noon. It's the big noon kickoff. That's what they're focusing on. And so, like, because the Big Ten is in with Fox to such a degree, like, more so than the SEC is, Fox wants noon, so Ohio State's got to do noon. So, like, that's just that's just kind of the, the, the way it is. So it's not a Big Ten decision. Uh, it's what their TV partner is telling them to do. But when Ohio State is on a- ABC and ESPN – then you'll all you know you'll often see you'll still see some 8 p.m. games uh, for that. They'll have some night games with their own Big Ten network. They're opening at night on a Thursday with Minnesota, but that's that's the new strategy that Fox has really zeroed in on the last year or two. All right, we'll accept it then, Doug. I appreciate it, man. Good Brown stuff, good Ohio State stuff. You're the man. Appreciate you. Great to talk to you, Jake. Thanks. All right, thanks again to Doug for his time and thoughts on not just the Browns, obviously, but uh, some some college-level stuff that I didn't even know about and hopefully you found interesting, too. A reminder, if you can, spread the word about this podcast, download it, subscribe to it. Uh, If you can, uh, give us a review. Always appreciate that stuff. We will be back next week. We're going to start an AFC Contender Series. Uh, I think I mentioned this on the Quick Friday pod. We're going to look at teams that are going to compete, I think, directly with Cleveland for the AFC. Now as we see the Browns a serious AFC contenders, Chiefs, Bills, Colts, Titans, teams in the AFC who have a realistic chance to really push the Browns in the playoffs. So we will talk to as many of those folks as we can to give you a better feel for teams that are A, on the Browns' schedule, uh, but B, could really contend and push the Browns for a shot to, to go to the Super Bowl if the Browns push in the playoffs like we expect them to. So keep your eye out for that next week. Keep shooting over ideas. A couple DM'd ideas I will use. I'm pretty excited about them. I think they're great. So make sure you give those if you have them. If there's anything you want to hear or talk about uh, or guest you would like to hear, please let me know. I will try my best to secure that guest for this podcast. Otherwise, have a great weekend, whether you're listening to this on Saturday or Sunday. I appreciate you guys always, always, always downloading this thing and listening to it. I think it's been a great transition to daily content, and that's because of you. So again, thank you, and until we talk next time, and as usual, go Browns. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. 
CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.